Hi, you're listening to The Cardigan, a special series from Selfie, focusing on the intersection of psychology and self-care. I'm Kristen, a licensed therapist, a skilled catastrophizer, and mom of four. And I'm Matthias, a licensed therapist, side-eye aficionado, and a dog dad. We're going to be taking your mental health questions, chatting about our own journeys, and looking at psychology in the media. We hope you learned something about yourself, the people you love, and the world of mental health and maybe laugh a little along the way. So go grab some tea and your favorite cardigan and we'll meet you on the couch. Hey guys, while you are listening to Selfie, today we're going to be talking about what we do with the guilt of living comfortably in the United States or wherever you may live while people are suffering from a terrible war. Uh, We're going to be answering a question that we've got a number of times, which is, should I let my teen watch Euphoria? We're going to talk about a recent study that is showing that men are viewed as more entitled to an orgasm than women, which I don't feel like that's a super new or (laughs) revolutionary, (laughs) like, thank you for confirming in science what we already know to be true. (laughs) Hey, Matthias. So Matthias and I were just chatting before we started recording that I am still using children's headphones to record this podcast every week after three years of recording this podcast. I love that, though. <laughs> like, if they work, they work. 209 <laughs> episodes in, and I'm still wearing plastic pink headphones Yes, to record. <laughs> How are you this week, Kristen? I'm good. I'm good. Before I dive in, I wanted to say at the top of our show, we have enabled a feature on our Facebook community so that you can post anonymously. And I want to tell you guys that, you know, Selfie has always been an incredibly safe space and people feel comfortable asking all kinds of questions there. Just this week, we had questions about bladder leakage. We had a convo about butthole health. Yes. (laughs) Um, But as safe as it is, I know there are some topics that still feel a little cringy to post. So you can always come in and post anonymously and get advice on that thing that you feel like you can't talk to with anyone else. That's good. Yes. I I think that's, I'm excited about that. I know. I am too. I I think I might even use it. I mean. Same. (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I'm like, hey, we've enabled the anonymous feature. And suddenly there's like 15 questions that sound like me. (laughs) How are you doing? How's your mental health doing? Yeah, you know, it's it's doing all right. Of course, it's always such a mix. But I recently got back from about a week-long writing retreat that I went on. I just went out to the coast, got a little cabin, and spent several days just writing with my dog and playing on the beach. And it was really lovely. Um, So I, I, I feel the refresh of that. I mean... I didn't have much internet service out there, but that was at the same time. And I know you're going to talk about this, but like the same time that Russia's invading Ukraine. So the, it was just such a weird juxtaposition. Yeah. Of like I'm on a retreat and it's so mm-hmm. lovely. And yet mm-hmm. reading this news, but I am feeling refreshed and good and a little bit more motivated to do life, I guess. Um, yeah. Because of that. Yeah. So. Did you feel like you met, the writing goals that you kind of went in with? Kind of. I, I went in with pretty unrealistic goals. Like I, I went course. in with, I'm going to finish this book. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I, did, I did not do that. I didn't do anywhere near that. But I am happy with what I got done. Like it, it feels good. So You moved the needle. I did. Yeah. 
How many days were you there? I was there like six nights, five or six nights. That's great. Yeah, it was it was lovely. Perhaps not long enough to finish an entire book, Matthias. Unfortunately. (laughs) I would have had to write like ten thousand words a day. No. Who can do that? Not me. (laughs) I've always said I have like a thousand word limit for the day. That's That's pretty good. That's all I can do. Yeah. Yeah. And then I'm done. Yeah, it's a lot. It's yeah. a whole lot. Yeah. Yeah. How are you doing? I'm good. I mean, I do think that I am dealing with that, you know, I don't know if survivor's guilt is the right word for it, but mm-hmm. I'm an empath. I'm struggling with knowing how much news to take in about yeah. what's happening in Ukraine. Right. I did find myself in the first few days of it you know, really going deep, like, I, you know, what is happening? What's it like for people on the ground? What are Ukrainians experiencing? And I spent the first couple days of their invasion, like, starting the day off crying, mm-hmm. which is an appropriate response to what's happening. Yeah. But then it's just, it is a really difficult balance of how much news do I take in? I don't want to be complacent. I don't want to be denying their experiences. I want to be a, a witness. I want to have that empathy. But then at the same time, at what point does it become sort of tragedy mining for myself? Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, it, it is such a hard balance. Yeah. Like in, in that line of, I mean, I don't know. I, I actually don't know if you knew this, but I lived in Eastern Europe for a while That's growing right. up. And yeah. So, I, I mean, I wouldn't say this hits close to home because of that, because that's not true. But but I at least have some awareness and, and deep fondness for that part of the world because it was home for a while. Mm-hmm. And it, it is so hard to watch. Mm-hmm. And I know people, like personally know people who are being affected by it. And, yeah. And it's like that helplessness with like, I care and I want to do something, but what do I do? Is mm-hmm. reading this news doing any good? <laughs> mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, there was a, a great Huffington Post article um, called To Anyone Feeling Guilty for Carrying On With Your Life Right Now. And we'll link that up. But they interviewed a number of therapists. And, you know, there was one therapist that was talking about, like, with this coming on the heels of the pandemic, mm. on the heels of us withdrawing from Afghanistan and then the Black Lives Matter movement. And all of those did demand our attention. And, you know, in in the case of the pandemic and the Black Lives Matter movement, I do think there were actionable steps we could take, right? Mm -hmm. Like, we're seeing this and we don't want to be complacent. So we did things, you know, We, we did things like staying home or wearing a mask, or we did things like, you know, reading books, in, in the case of the Black Lives Matter movement or going to marches or, you know, engaging in conversations or talking about it on social media. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's hard to to be in this situation where there it feels like there's more futility in terms of what we can do. Right. Yeah. Right. I, I mean, it's making me think of this poem that has been being passed around. Uh, maybe you've seen it. Um, it's actually written by my friend Mari. I'm going to read it because it's short, if that feels good. Yeah. Um, She writes, I am washing my face before bed while a country is on fire. Mm. It feels dumb to wash my face and dumb not to. It has never been this way, and it has always been this way. 
Someone has always clinked a cocktail glass in one hemisphere as someone loses a home in another, while someone falls in love in the same apartment building where someone grieves. The fact that suffering, mundanity, and beauty coincide is unbearable mm. and remarkable. God, that just says it all. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that's by Mari Andrew. I've Who's been amazing. Yeah. <laughs> if you don't follow her on Instagram, I'm not saying this to you, but to our listeners, you should. Yeah. One of my favorite follower follows mm-hmm. on mm-hmm. Instagram. I mean, she's an artist. Yeah. But just shares such profound things. I, I just feel like she's so good at holding all those different pieces together and then putting it into language mm-hmm. that that hits on those feelings. Yeah. Yeah. I agree. I mean, along those lines, another therapist in this article said, it's okay to feel grateful for what you have and grief for others at the same time, mm-hmm. right? Like those can coexist. And I think that sometimes we don't feel like they can. Um, and, you know, I, I mean, I know I've had, I have had firsthand experience with survivor's guilt um, after the earthquake in Haiti. Right. And I flew away, you know, I mean, people are grieving loved ones and putting their homes back together and sleeping on sidewalks. And I flew away to my comfortable home and I really struggled. And I will say that I really did deprive myself of joy for a good two years Mm -hmm. out of some weird survival guilt that helped nothing and no one, but put me in a really bad place. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I, I do think that there is that balance between being mindful, doing what we can, um, and then, you know, I, I don't think anyone in these scenarios want us to then deprive ourselves of joy where we can find it. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Well, that's um, difficult. Yeah. So, I don't know. I think for me, it has looked like, oh, my gosh. I'm looking at this article that we're quoting, and there's they have quoted the poem you just read. Oh. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> well, I love it. I mean, it's it's going far and wide. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, and then just figuring out, like you know, I mean that that whole idea of the mundane, like it does keep going. You know, right. even when I've been in personal grief, have you ever been in grief where you're like, I have to take a shower, and this is insane right now? Like, mm-hmm. I have to keep doing life things. Right. Yes. I have to keep putting food in my body. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm I'm trying to balance. I'm trying to give myself about 15 minutes a day to intake news. Um, that's mm. what feels like a balance for me. I have, um, I have followed a – I didn't curate this list, but I followed a list that someone else curated of some of the best journalists that are on the ground right now. Ooh. Mm. And so that feels to me like a good curated sort of focused in instead of just taking in everyone's take and, you know, oh my gosh, Tucker Carlson said this dumb thing about, you know, like, right. no, I'm focused in on like what real journalists are saying um, and what's happening to real people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. But yeah, it's a t- it's so tough. Yeah. It's so tough to watch. And my heart breaks for the Ukrainian people. And then, you know, also just for these young Russian conscripts who right. – you know, they're being ripped from their homes and forced to be in this war. They're being lied to mm-hmm. with tons of propaganda. And they're showing up thinking that this is a drill or it's a, you know, liberation mission and they'll be welcomed. And 
that's not it at all. They're going to war. Right. So, yeah. Yeah. It's also devastating. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Have you seen any good off the top of your head, you know, for people who like do want to give monetarily, financially, like, you know, where do you have any ideas for that? Well, I mean, I've seen, <laughs> you've maybe seen this too, the Airbnb one and yes, the Etsy ones. Yeah. I've seen that. I, and I have a whole lot of mixed feelings. <laughs> talk about, talk about that. that. I, I think, I to me, it feels like if the money is actually going to actual Ukrainian people who need the money, mm -hmm. then amazing. Like, yeah. That feels really good to me. It feels really neat that Airbnb and Etsy have both waived their fees. You know, they're mm -hmm. enabling this. But it also feels so rife for scamming to me. And, mm -hmm. and I mean, the, the reality of so many properties on Airbnb are held by companies. That's right. <laughs> and, and the questions of what are you actually supporting and how do you know that that money is is actually going to the people you think it's going to. Yeah. Because you really don't. And then I think there's another reality of, you know, I I mean, I do occasionally list my home on Airbnb. I mean, listing your house on Airbnb indicates that there is some, usually some level of privilege. Like you either have yeah. a second home right. or have the ability to not be in your home. And so I think that, you know, while that might even help a certain swath of people, it may not be helping the people that are in the greatest need. Yeah. Yeah. Because, yeah, I think it probably is going to a lot of property managers mm -hmm. or people who own a second home. Yeah. Which leaves out, you know, probably the working class. Yep. I, um, you know, one organization that I'm aware of is Glennon's Together Rising. Yes. Mm -hmm. um, she, she does a very good job of kind of taking a pulse of what's going on in the world raising money for specific things, and then really going to people who are on the ground. Mm -hmm. I know that's important to her. You know, she's not trying to create a new structure or, or organization. She's just finding who are the people that I can give this money to that I know are going to spend it wisely. So yeah. that would be my recommendation for anybody looking for a place to give. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, what do you have for two thumbs up today? Yeah. <laughs> weird pivot to make but yeah <laughs> i know <laughs> especially yeah. as i'm seeing the name of your recommendation yes, even more of so. a weird pivot <laughs> i mean you talked about uh, how on the selfie facebook group someone was talking about but health health and uh -huh. this came to mind when i saw it because it was something my naturopath recommended to me and um it has been so helpful <laughs> it's called bottoms up and is both a balm and a supplement that you mm -hmm. can take maybe this is tmi i don't know kristen but for hemorrhoids and um do you think i don't have hemorrhoids <laughs> <laughs> i feel like everyone has hemorrhoids and we just don't talk about it i i hope everyone does but I, well, <laughs> is it I don't hope everyone does. I, my schadenfreude hopes everyone does because it's yes. so mortifying. It is. It's awful. Yeah. And yeah, so I, I, I don't know, a year ago, talked to my naturopath about it. And granted, I want to say I'm not a medical doctor. This is not medical advice. But yeah. this bottoms up balm and supplement um, had been has been really helpful. It has worked mm. for me. Uh, it's an herbal supplement by Wise Women Herbals. Um, and... The supplement itself you take for like 15 days. It's a bunch of herbs. And it cleared things up for me. 
um, it didn't make it go away, but mm-hmm. it, it cleared up mm-hmm. symptoms at least. So okay, I might have to try this. Yeah, throwing that out there for folks who maybe want is something herb based or, or yeah. kind of, um, it's worth a try at least. Yeah, so, just yeah. step outside the preparation age. Yeah, right. <laughs> 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 she also told me to eat more blueberries. I've heard that. Yeah. And then I also have heard psyllium husks. Oh, uh, yep. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah, because oh. there's something in there that helps your cell walls or something. I don't know. Aging is fun. Oh, huh. It's so yeah. fun. Yeah. Um, okay, mine is... So, you know, I have been traveling a lot more um, just because... When I work at OnSite, which is um, – it's a residential um, – we do intensive. So I do couples mm-hmm. intensives there. And so when I go, I'm staying on their property. Mm. It's a gorgeous property. That's a whole – you know, it's part of the whole experience. So the clients are staying there, you know, getting away from life. They can't have their phones. You know, I can because I'm working, but they can't. Yeah. But it's very much a retreat environment. Um, so I'm staying there. And so I'm going there once a month. Plus my normal travel. Mm-hmm. So I'm just, I always have my suitcase out and I'm trying really hard to streamline mm. because I've always found packing very stressful and I always seem to forget something. So I nailed my toiletry bag down a while ago where I have containers for everything. They're all labeled. And so all I have to do is remember to refill the container. Mm-hmm. You know, and and I don't have to, like, look at a list because the container is in the toiletry bag. Yeah. But the area where I have not really nailed down is just the the little peripheral stuff that goes in the suitcase. So for me, and I'm actually – I'm looking at the bag that I just packed. For me, it's – first of all, it's tampons and pads, which, you you know – you don't know, but you you always have to have it at the ready, right? right you know, right. <laughs> you never know. I mean, I guess you do sometimes know, but yeah. So tampons and pads. I like to travel with a Roku stick. Um, oh yeah. In case you know there's a TV, and I don't want to have to do pay per view or whatever. So I travel with a Roku stick. Um, I need my cords and my cord, you know, the charger plug in things and my all my cords. Um, I like to travel with tea. And stevia. Um, I like to have my medications with me. And I have IBS. So those are numerous. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Which I usually don't use. But I, I need my Tums. I need my <laughs> Alka-Seltzers. You know. Yep. Um, and these items, I would find, would always just sort of be like sitting at the bottom of my, of my suitcase. Mm-hmm. Then I bought these little like containers for all of them. Kind of like little cosmetic bags. But then I just had all these random cosmetic bags that I couldn't see what, what was in what until I opened them. So mm. I ended up buying a ha- another hanging toiletry bag for these items. Hmm. And I made a little compartment for each. And I don't even know if it's a toiletry bag per se. I think it might even be a jewelry bag, a hanging mm. jewelry bag. So I now have a compartment for my cords, a compartment for the Roku stick, a compartment. And so, again, that helps me when I'm packing. Instead of trying to think about everything, I just look at that hanging bag and it reminds me, you know, like, oh, look, that's missing. I got to pop that in. And it's really easy to pack up. And then I just unfurl it and hang it up in the closet of wherever I'm staying. Oh, that's great. And everything's right there. So I feel like this has been (laughs) as... 
you know, frivolous as it seems, it has been a big level up for my traveling. Well, that's huge because then you don't have to like, I mean, I'm always like writing lists and then exactly. double checking and check marking and making Me sure too. that I actually check marked the right thing. Like, yes. Just, <laughs> and I, I'll say effort. this, I've given this advice on this show before too, but I'm also a strong proponent of just, if you can, buying doubles of everything yeah. so that things stay in the suitcase. So like I have a, a, a hairdryer that stays in my suitcase. I have a flat iron stays in my suitcase. I have medications that are just for the suitcase cords. You know, I have dupes of everything so that when I travel, they're not coming in and out. Yeah, right. And mm -hmm. it all stays in the suitcase until my next trip. Smart. Yeah, that's yeah. wise. <sighs> all right, let's talk about this listener question. Yeah. Um, so many parents, uh, actually, I feel like the entire world is talking about euphoria right now. <laughs> yes. <laughs> In fact, let me just share a gripe that I hope no one at my child's school hears. But one of my kids is in an AP human geography class. Okay. And I was like, yeah, what are you guys, you know, what, what are you guys talking about in terms of the Ukraine? Like, you know, how are you guys talking about that in the class? And she's like, we haven't. What? And she said, but we talked about the Euphoria finale <laughs> in class. Okay. <laughs> and I was like, I'm not going to write a letter about that, but I really want to. Uh-huh. But I was really, I mean, bummed also that they're not talking about Ukraine. Mm -hmm. But I was kind of like, why is a teacher talking about, because the teacher had watched it, like, why is she just casually talking about this show with teens like it's a show it's a show about teens but it is not for teens right and that's problematic yes yeah i i mean i haven't even watched it yeah. it's kind of I've been on my list one episode okay yeah like everyone keeps telling me to watch it but then they all say like it's so dark and i'm like mm -hmm. well that's not what i want to watch right now so i i haven't watched it yet and but I've heard a lot about it. <laughs> okay, I'm going to share the content from the one episode that I watched. Great. I, this will be a little bit of a spoiler, but I'm not going to talk about plot. I'm just going to share the content that I found alarming. Yeah. Right from the get-go, we've got a scene where um, two teenagers are choking each other in sex. Oh. Now, let me also clarify. I've always been, I've always been really skittish about sex scenes portraying minors and i know it's like well they're played by adults but i just I, I think that sex is a you know obviously teenagers are having sex and movies exploring teen sex is appropriate mm -hmm. but i don't like this i don't like scenes like i just don't feel like we should as an adult i should be watching a, a titillating scene of teens having sex yeah right mm -hmm. that's just my personal opinion yeah. anyway so there's that scene. So right away, every teenager, every 15, 16-year-old who wants to watch this trendy show is now, you know, being introduced to choking in sex, which mm -hmm. is not a thing that I even knew was a thing until I was probably in my 30s. Mm -hmm. Anyway, um, I know things are different now. Thank you, porn. But Right, right. And that was, that was a topic explored in the show, too, because one of the members had seen this on porn and made assumptions. Mm. Um. In the first episode, there is also a scene, there's a, a trans character that is prostituting themselves online. Again, this is a minor mm. prostituting themselves to adults. And there's a scene, a scene of that. Mm. So incredibly graphic, again, adult to minor sex scene. Mm -hmm. And that's the point at which I was like, I'm out. <laughs> mm -hmm. 
I'm out. And this is episode one. So it's not just that it's graphic sex. It's graphic sex between minors and sometimes graphic sex between minors and adults. One of the characters is a drug addict. Right. I don't know. It just – and it's all – the way that it's shot is very – it is. It's very stimulating. It's very titillating. It's very cool. You know, all the kids are into the fashion, the music, the actors – but um, it's really heavy. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. I, I mean, I feel like I keep seeing praise for how it, like, supposedly accurately is portraying like the Gen Z high school experience. Uh huh. Uh huh. And like, I mean, granted, <laughs> I don't know that world at all. But that that feels extreme to me. I mean, you're the one who has kids in this, like. Is that the the ac- I mean, is that accurate for no. high school experience right now? Okay, I didn't think no. so. I mean, teenagers are having sex, right? Of course, one hundred percent. Teenagers yeah. are influenced by porn, a hundred percent. I yes. think teens are asking things of other teens based on things they've seen in porn, and mm-hmm. that's really problematic. So that part, I would say yes. Yeah. Do I think that trans teens are selling their body on Tinder? Or, you know, like using hookup apps to meet up with adults. Generally, no. I don't think that's really happening. Yeah. Um, I don't think that a lot of popular teenagers are using heroin. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. I think they're smoking weed and getting drunk. Yeah. But it's just, it's all amped up. You know, it's just like anything that, anything terrible that ever could have happened to a teenager. And there's violence. Uh, there's, yeah. I mean... And then the pairing of violence with sex is also very disturbing to me. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Um, very disturbing to me. So, yeah. yeah. I, I agree there. Yeah. When, when we pair violence and sex together, that yeah. is a, a recipe for... Yeah. It's not good. <laughs> so yeah. I would say to parents that are listening, first of all, there's a very good chance your kids already watched it. That's what I will say. If you don't have HBO, they can find it. (laughs) And there is a very strong pull for teenagers to watch it. They're all talking about it. So first of all, I would say, don't assume your kid hasn't watched it. (laughs) And if they haven't, I just, you know, I think the best thing you can do if you're making these decisions is I always go to this site called Common Sense Media. It is you... (laughs) You described a site that our parents used when we were kids. It was like focus on the family, right? Yes, plugged in. Yes. Yep. And it would tell all the bad stuff. But common sense media does do that, but it's from a non-religious. And I th- I think it's a pretty objective website. Yeah. But if if you have questions about Euphoria or any show, I would just encourage you to go and like, you know, click on, click on you know, their descriptions of what sexuality is being shown, what violence is being shown, what drug use is being shown in the show. And then I would say if you do watch it with your kids, because here's here's another part that concerns me. So this this scene with choking in sex, that's in the first episode. As an adult, I can see that the point of the scene is the way that porn affects teen sex. Right. That's the point. You know, and they're trying to do things that they don't understand and maybe don't even like have the words for consent around. But as a teenager, you're just watching two teens. Like, like, I just don't think teens have the nuance to flesh out the messaging. Totally. Right. 
Yeah, and and then yeah, what happens when they go and try it? <laughs> that's right. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. So I think if you know if your kids have watched it, I think that you have you if you know your kids have watched it, I think you need to watch it yourself and make notes and then have a sit down with your kid to clarify a lot. Yeah. Mm. You know, a right. whole lot, and just talk about what did you think about this. You know, what do you think is appropriate? Um, I I have friends who are watching it with their teens. I don't totally understand that. Mm-hmm. And I'll say this. I think my teens would love to watch it. There's no way in the world they'd sit and watch it with me. <laughs> no you, way. I'm just imagining watching that with my parents. Like, <laughs> well, absolutely I mean, not. <laughs> you and I have talked about, like, I know that my kids have watched pretty racy content. I mean, my yeah. daughter's favorite movie is Call Me By Your Name. Right, right. <laughs> but then we'll be watching something together, and she'll be all, like, squeamish about it. And I'm like, I know you watch stuff behind my back that's worse than this. <laughs> you know, it's like we can only watch sex scenes if we're alone. <laughs> right. <laughs> God forbid a parent be in the room. Oh, man. But this show, I mean, it's funny because after I watched that first episode, I was really, truly so shocked that I kind of typed, I think I Googled like, euphoria gone too far. And I'm finding articles from Vice, from Refinery29, from like pretty liberal journalists who are like, this is too far. Yeah. (laughs) You know? Right. Well, I mean, like even Zendaya herself has been on her Instagram like, if you're under a certain age, do not watch this. Oh, I didn't know that. That's interesting. Yeah, yeah she has even posted. I've seen her post on her Instagram. Uh-huh. Like, if you're a teenager or a kid, like, you should not be watching this show. It's not for you. But see, they're saying that, and then they're marketing. I, I, not her, right? But the you know the producers are absolutely marketing it to teenagers. Yep. 100%. And I have HBO. I swear, every single time I open HBO, they're like, do you want to watch Euphoria? Yeah, same. Like, are you going to watch Euphoria yet? Yep. <laughs> Chill. Uh, anyway. Yeah, that's a tough one. May, I We should ask this in the group, what people are what people are doing, where they're landing with their kids. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> the that's show. a good idea. Mm-hmm. Well, moving on to more graphic sex conversation. <laughs> Talk about our sex. talk about our <laughs> next convo. This is like we're gonna have to put a rating on this episode. We are. <laughs> uh, I mean, this article is so interesting about men as being viewed as as being more entitled to an orgasm than women. Which, again, like you said at the beginning, like surprise to no one. But the the actual research to back it up that that there is a bias uh-huh. um, that that mm, I, I think I. In this, it said something about like 67% of people in one, like one of the questions they asked, answered in a way that said like the man is entitled to an orgasm. Um, if one person has to have a an orgasm between a man and a woman and only one of them can have one, who should have it? And most people answered the man. Across gender. Right. So women think this as well. Right. And I think there is, and th- this is obviously also a uniquely hetero Mm -hmm. (laughs) dynamic sure but i think that women you know we we are sort of socialized that way i mean i can remember as a kid you know you'd get warnings from friends like you you can't leave him with blue balls right there was this idea of like if you start it you have to finish it or that you know god forbid what if a guy got blue balls because you had some consent issues Mm -hmm. you know Mm -hmm. 
Like, I mean, it's so absurd, but there's, there is this idea of like, it, you know, it has to happen for a man, but you know, there's definitely never like a warning of like, well, make sure she has an orgasm. (laughs) 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 Um, But the reason that I wanted to talk about this today is, you know, I see couples all the time in therapy and I am really constantly surprised at the number of women who will talk about like their lack of orgasms when we get into the details of sex. And then I'll kind of ask like, what's your husband's take? And they're like, well, like, I don't know if he really notices or well, he doesn't ask like that. There's not this reciprocity and communication in sex for a lot of women, I think. Yeah. Yeah. That I mean, Kristen, that is so wild to me. And and I know I'm coming from an entirely different perspective. <laughs> yeah. Like two men having sex together. Yeah. Like, that wouldn't even be a thought. Like if someone doesn't want to have an orgasm, we talk about it and right. you know, like say like, it's fine. I'm not feeling it tonight right. or whatever. But like that idea of like, I'm not going to notice. <laughs> right. Or I'm not going to ask. <laughs> right. Right. Like that is just it's incomprehensible and i think that in some ways even ties into what this article is talking about like this idea of men being entitled to orgasm like in Mm -hmm. gay relationships that is a default given (laughs) right where i think true reciprocal sex should begin with the assumption that both members are going to have an orgasm unless that's like that's the default yes Mm -hmm. unless somebody says hey uh, you know like, go for it. I'm not, you know, I'm not there right now. But I think the assumption should be we're going to try for both unless somebody taps out. Yep. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I mean, I just know that with my lesbian friends, too, I mean, they they always joke about, like, the uh, that aspect of taking turns mm-hmm. that's not really as present in heterosex. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I mean, it's tough, too, because there is I, – I will acknowledge there is some biological things. You know, there's a biological aspect to this. I think men tend to achieve orgasm easier than women. Yeah. And then there's also the biological aspect that in heterosex, when a man has had an orgasm, the intercourse part is done. Right. Yeah. Right. So then you've got to be creative. You know, so if one person goes early, you know – but again, then you have to be creative. But I think there's a lot of couples where if the guy goes first, whether intentional or not caring or accidental, it's done. Right. <laughs> like, yep. okay. Mm-hmm. Scene. Right. Right. Yeah. I don't know. This is this one makes me sad mm-hmm. for women. Mm-hmm. And I, I don't know. If women are listening and you are experiencing this where you're either with a partner who maybe has an issue with going a little too early and then things are over so you don't get your turn or you're with a partner who's not asking, I, I would say like that's a big conversation to have or listen to a podcast together about this topic, read a book. There's a really good book called She Comes First. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That talks about this very thing. But, you know, you are allowed to advocate for your own orgasm. <laughs> yeah. And, like, in some ways you have a right to an orgasm. You <laughs> like, do. If you're giving one thing. to somebody else. Right. Like. <laughs> yes. <laughs> you you shouldn't have to give that up. No. Because someone else has finished before you. And since we've just now just 
blown past any like PG. <laughs> since, since we're in this deep, pun intended. You also have the right to figure out how to have an orgasm with a partner, you know, even if that means like a toy or your hand or, you know, a lot of women don't orgasm through just intercourse alone. Mm -hmm. And I think that that's not talked about enough either. You know, we get to watch movies and porn that tell us apparently that women are just going to have an orgasm from like no clitoral stimulation and just like missionary (laughs) missionary sex, like. Right. Most women don't. No, right. Right. And and like and your partner should be a part of that. Like it yes. shouldn't all fall on you yeah. to make that happen. Like yes. your partner should should get in there <laughs> yes. and figure it out. Yes. With you and ha- make it fun. Like Totally. Yeah. Absolutely. Yes, She Comes First is a very good a very good book for um partners that maybe need some gentle education. And I, I want to say too, I get also that like folks from purity culture, like myself, mm-hmm. just have not, men have not had the benefit of education on some of this stuff. Right. Or, edu- right. or they've been educated by porn, which couldn't be worse mm-hmm. <laughs> in terms right. of like the actual female sexual response. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I don't know. I'm I'm being kind and saying they might need some gentle guidance, but also I want to say, like, in 2022, there's just no excuse for a guy not asking if his wife's had an orgasm. Yeah. (laughs) Come on. Hey, thanks for listening. Just a heads up, we're therapists, but we're not your therapists. This podcast is not a substitute for therapy, and by making it, we're not rendering psychological or other professional services. If you need therapy, we recommend you track down someone to help. Join us online for more of the conversation in our Selfie Community Facebook group or on Instagram at at Selfie Podcast. 